Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Lee Precopio, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Whole genome sequencing has been a critically important tool in the development of our understanding of COVID-19. The knowledge that genome sequencing has provided scientists and healthcare professionals over the course of the pandemic has been invaluable to the success of treatment of this virus. To learn more about the role that whole genome sequencing has played throughout the pandemic and how this process may aid us as variants become an increasingly major obstacle, Consultant360 reached out to Patrick Askew, who is an epidemiologist and a senior biosecurity fellow at Chan Zuckerberg Biohub. Thank you for joining me today, Patrick. To begin, how has whole genome sequencing impacted the course of the COVID-19 pandemic? Whole genome sequencing has been a really nice tool that we've been able to use in the pandemic thus far. It's relatively new technology in the context of outbreaks, and it's enabled a few things for us as the pandemic has unfolded. Certainly, extremely critically, early on, some of those initial whole genome sequences that got posted publicly are what the mRNA vaccines are based off of. And really, those were critical to getting us to the record time of return for having vaccines available for the general population. Beyond that, more broadly, I I think about kind of two buckets that we use whole genome sequencing for with COVID in the public health space. One is that longitudinal surveillance piece, kind of giving us a broad view of what's circulating within different communities and potentially using that information to try and identify emerging variants that may be of more concern that can help us direct public health intervention, as well as clinical guidance potentially down the line as well if we start to see phenotypic differentiation there. The other big bucket is in outbreak response and cluster investigation. One of the nice things about whole genome sequencing, it allows us to track every mutation in the virus when we're able to get those samples for sequencing. And the virus will accumulate mutations on about one mutation every one to two weeks or one to two transmission events on average. Um, So essentially what that does is it leaves little breadcrumbs that can help us track how transmission chains have moved through the population and gives us the ability to better understand where transmission is actually occurring, where and how people are getting infected, and guiding within the context of outbreaks and congregate settings, places like jails, schools, workplaces, help public health target interventions to help disrupt those transmission chains. Uh, And that'll be particularly critical as we move forward as case numbers start to come down as well. Is there any evidence we'll need a booster dose for the COVID-19 vaccines? The booster dose question is certainly an interesting one, and there is a possibility that that'll be a recommendation. One of the questions in my mind is what conditions we'll have in front of us moving forward that would warrant a recommendation for a booster vaccination and in what populations. As we start to see the virus mutating and and some of the new variants coming out, there is interest in having a booster vaccine 
against some of those specific variants. However, what we've also seen is that the vaccination and to a lesser extent, natural infection may be quite protective, even if not perfectly against infection, still quite efficacious at preventing severe disease or illness, um, and certainly death within that as well. And obviously those are the outcomes we're most interested in. Um, so I could certainly see a world on the order of a year or two where there may be recommendations for a booster vaccine for high risk individuals um, and different populations. But I think it's an open-ended question if that'll be a recommendation for everyone. What is currently known about the level of protection that both doses of the virus provide against the variants? Is it a possibility that someone who is fully vaccinated may become ill if infected with a variant? So a lot of data has started to become available just very recently on the effectiveness of both the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines in the face of some of these new variants. Um, And generally what we see is that for a subset of these variants, there is a slight reduction in the efficacy at preventing an infection or a reinfection, but still extremely effective at preventing severe outcomes. Um, So just earlier this week, a study out of Qatar um, looking at the Pfizer vaccine and implementation in a real world setting there um, was evaluating it against B117, which was the variant first identified in the UK, as well as B1351, which was the variant first identified in South Africa. And the latter in particular has been a concern as there have been indications that it may be leading disproportionately to reinfections. But the data out of there are incredibly promising, showing 75% efficacy preventing infection for the B1351 and over 90% efficacy for B117 and over 98% preventative against severe outcomes. So a lot of optimism that the mRNA vaccines will be able to handle those even in their current state. The one other comment I'll make there is that the mRNA vaccine technology platform Form is really remarkable. Um, and one of the features of it is that it lends itself to a lot of flexibility and the ability to incorporate some of those genetic changes very rapidly. So as these variants emerge, these companies are looking closely at the genomic surveillance data to identify any variants that may be emerging. And then they're very quickly able to turn around and incorporate that into an updated booster vaccine. How do you expect the variants to change the course of the pandemic in the United States from here on out? Do you expect the United States to be hit as hard by variant strains as in other places where variants emerged, such as the United Kingdom or India? I am optimistic that within the United States, we may have gotten incredibly lucky and dodged a bullet with some of these more transmissible variants, not getting here even just a few months sooner. Essentially, I think of it as we're in a race against some of the more transmissible variants and our ability to vaccinate the population widely. I think we've gotten just ahead of it, even by just a few weeks or a month or two to where um, we're effectively seeing case numbers go down. And hopefully that's a trend that will continue and and one that I would expect to continue as well. Certainly what we're seeing more broadly globally you know, currently what's going on in India. I do worry that that may be some foreshadowing of what we can see in other locations as well when these more transmissible variants can emerge in largely immunologically naive populations. Certainly can have some pretty horrendous outcomes if that's the case. Why is it important to sequence the viral variants in both the United States and around the world? 
So I think of that sequencing as serving a couple different functions. So returning to those two buckets I mentioned for that broad surveillance and understanding what's circulating generally, that's great for being able to detect new variants that are emerging, which may have phenotypic outcomes that will want us to get those variants into a vaccine pipeline or into a medical countermeasures or therapeutic development pipeline more rapidly. Um, and that gives us the capability to parse some of that or potentially update clinical or public health guidance based on that as well. It also helps public health direct their resources. You know, if we're seeing a more transmissible variant start to pop up in certain populations or certain geographies, we may want to devote more testing, contact tracing resources into that region and help bolster support against those. The other big bucket is for outbreak response. And that's something that I think will become more prominent as we move forward as well. And that gives public health departments in particular the opportunity to take those data, turn around and understand how people are getting infected. Um, so a common scenario we've seen is in the context of, let's say, a skilled nursing facility where they had some cases in their patient population They've seen nothing for a few weeks, and then they start seeing some additional cases again. A natural question there is, okay, is this a new introduction into the facility, or are we looking at cryptic transmission that we just hadn't identified for weeks at a time? And the genomic data are great at being able to parse questions like that and determine if something is coming in from the community or circulating within that facility itself. Um, and that can really help public health officials facility administrators, whoever that may be that's making those policies and decisions, ensuring that they're targeting where those sources of infection are occurring. We've seen instances of that where we, we've identified that, you know, those introductions were actually happening because facilities were sharing staff and they were getting introduced through that. And that, that gives the public health officials the capability to go back to those facility managers and say, hey, you know, that this is a risk to your population here. And this is something that we can take corrective action on. I don't think the genomic sequencing or genomic epidemiology piece is going to go away. If anything, I think it's only going to get more prominent as we move forward there. Our work at the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub for the last year has been largely focused on supporting genomic epidemiology within departments of public health and delivering a lot of these data to them. And as we're moving into 2021, we're really focused on building that capacity within the public health system and enabling public health departments to generate these data on their own and analyze them, interpret them, and then turn around and use them in their own investigations. A lot of public health response, most of it in the United States, happens at the local level. Um, so I, I think there's a critical opportunity there for us to really enable that capacity on the front lines of the pandemic moving forward. Great. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks, Lee. Thanks so much for having me.